Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So how you feeling, National Championship alumni? <sighs> God, tired. <laughs> no kidding, right? I'm not going to effing lie. How late did you stay up after the game? Oh, gosh. I guess I – I mean, I went pretty much straight to bed, but it was hard to get to sleep. Yeah, I I watched like an hour of SEC uh, Network. I, I watched – you know, it started to do the repeat. You know, yeah. like it – Yeah. oh, no, I, I watched the repeat because I had watched the ESPN stuff first, and then I went over to SEC Network and watched – it was it was a really bad decision. I, I was up. Yeah, that, that well, doesn't sound like a good idea. Yeah, I, I was hurting at work today. So, how was the party? Did you? It was nice. The food was outstanding. Made muffaladas, handmade by Yvette's aunt and Homa, and barbecued shrimp. And then one of the other guests, she made crawfish casserole, which was outstanding. So yes, we ate very well. We drank very well. It was a fun time. Does crawfish casserole involve a combination of crawfish and cheese? And rice, yes. And there was some other stuff in there, too. We, she, Kelly was asking her about it. Like, there's some cream of mushroom soup in there to help, you know, with the creaminess and the, uh, a few other tidbits. But, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I went to a bar so I could yell. <laughs> oh, we were all yelling, too. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I didn't want to wake up the kids. My... My my son was interested for about five seconds this morning. <laughs> and he was just like, he was like, where were you last night? And I was just like, we want to go watch the game to watch LSU win the national championship. Yay! And he goes, yay! <laughs> I'm pooping. And that was it. That was <laughs> end of conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's a killer. That's just, you know kind of hard to know where to go from there (laughs) really you can't top uh you you can't top pooping i I get it you know (sighs) poop's awesome but yeah like my kids just don't care it's it's okay yeah my kids from alabama it's a problem yeah yeah i know yeah i know you know amy being a bama alum it's just not you know he married outside the university yeah outside the tribe I'm well, you know, University of Houston, so there's like no conflict because like yeah. when is Houston? Yeah, when are we gonna run in Houston? Right. When's that gonna be a big rivalry? So that you have to worry about. Yeah. Like if we ever have to play five slam and jamma again, <laughs> you know, it'll be a problem. But so Richard has to deal you know, with the same problems that Peter Burns has to deal with. We have a lot of people on it. Well, not a lot, but yeah, a lot for us. We're up them. We'll introduce Richard right. to the other two. Yeah. Richard is online. Say hello, Richard. Hi, uh, Richard. I'm, I'm waving, but you can't see me. Yeah, <laughs> R- Richard. Uh, um, he, uh, I guess, he started the blog. I mean, it, it sort of existed before you, but not really. It did, but it was you know didn't do a whole lot, and then that person gave it up, and I took it over for a while. Yeah. So you're the you are the the ATVS blog father, and that, that's what they call me. Or, or at least that's what I call you. I mean, you know, I've tried to make it stick, but you know, I think it has. I think it. I think it's stuck. I've seen other people use it. So, what? Uh, what year is this? God, wh- when did you quit, Richard? Oh God, I, I I stopped doing it around the end of 2009, beginning of 2010, because I was I moved to a place where I didn't get high speed internet. Oh, okay. And, and you know, my, my child was getting a little older, and my career was getting a little busier. And it was, just, it was just getting harder and harder to do it. But we, I know we did it for 2006. When did we take it over? Like 2006? Well, we did it the previous. We did the previous, the Go Tuscaloosa blog that predated And the Valley Shook. That and, was like. And I think that was the 2007 season, was, was that. 
And then I after thought, that, we moved, we migrated over to Anne the Valley Shook. You're right. right. Anne, we, we took over Anne the Valley Shook right after the championship. You're right. We wrote about it. We took over 2008. Well, I mean, we took over, yeah. We took over, yeah, in 2008. Because we, we wrote in Go Tuscaloosa in 2007. So, a brief run. A brief but influential run. Mm-hmm. All right. God, it's, it's hard to believe it's been like 10 years since I, I, I stopped doing it. God, yes. God, that means I've been doing this for like 15 years. Oh, boy. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've been writing this as long as y'all have almost been alive. Um, <laughs> well, take at least. About half as long as Seth has been alive, right? <laughs> yeah. podcast that was a terrible intro and we won the national championship so i'm a little hungover so you're just gonna have to deal and again thank you to the mud bugs for playing us in once again lsu has not lost a game since the mud bugs allowed us to use their music <laughs> as play it music so coincidence i think not and we have a full boat here i am your host poser and we have as usual, from our producer, Chris, from across town in Dallas with me. Say hello, hello Chris. Hello, Chris. And then back from where I was originally from, we have Jake. How's it going up there? Hello. And north of the border, our quarterback and offensive expert, Seth. Bonjour. Ooh, getting all French. And as a special guest, the blog father himself, Richard Pittman. How's it going, Richard? Hi, it's going great. I picked a great year to start watching football again. You had given up football? I had given up watching football for three years. Wow. Jeez. Came came back to watching it again towards the end of last season. I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep up with it this year. They sound like they could be pretty good. Worked out pretty well for you. That worked out great. (laughs) Now, we we were just discussing on... Uh, that you took over the blog 2008. So we actually we wrote about the 2007 season, but we didn't write about it for SB Nation. No, we wrote about it for a different blog. Yeah, just for, just for us and like the ten people who follow that blog. Yep. So now, so we don't. You didn't quite have the hey. Let's compare how we covered 2007 to 2019 because 2007 we were we were in mom's basements. But I do at least want to ask you, what's the difference in how this feels? Because like 2003, 2007 kind of, for me, merge into one title almost. It's like one, even though it was different coaches, and it's still kind of like the same era. And now you have 2019, which is you know 12 years later. What's the difference in these titles for you emotionally? Well, well for me, I think emotionally, one – this was just such a good team and, and, and they were just so dominant the whole year, but also it's a very different me and a very different us, you know, just kind of much further away from that, uh, from that, from that college scene. And I really, I look at these, these players more like they're young enough to be my children these days. And, and so I really, I really look at them differently than I did 12 years ago. And I'm, I'm so so very happy for them that that they were able to put together something like this. Now, the flip side, Jake, Seth, y'all are younger, and I don't know, Jake, do you have memories of the 2007 season? Like, actually remember 2007? Yeah, I remember watching the championship game, yeah. That was but, that's kind of like my first one or two, like, real kind of LSU sort of memories that I can remember and then the first team that i guess really connected with me was the 2011 team and so this one is kind of i guess sort of wrapping that up because this team took the extra step that team didn't and so this is 
I guess for me, the equivalent of what 2003 was for those who were around to see it. I mean, in, in a different way, because, I mean, 2003 was obviously the first, like, amazing LSU team in a long, long time. And LSU's been much better the last however many years than they were, you know, prior to 2003. But I guess that would be kind of the closest comparison. This was the one LSU national championship I followed from start to finish and will obviously remember for however long. Now, Seth, as long as you've been a fan, pretty much LSU's been good the entire time. But Yeah. My first, uh, I think I told you guys this, but really the first time that I really remember is the 2001 SEC Championship game. So, so yeah, so it's been nothing but title for you. Yeah, so, so you basically have enjoyed three national titles in about 20 years of fandom. So pretty much just always awesome. This is just like routine for you, right? Yeah, I mean, you talked about the 2007 season. I remember being absolutely crushed after the Arkansas game. I could have, that was it, right? Like, there was no way. How do you lose two games and then go make it back to the championship game? But I think I was even more crushed by the Florida game in 2003 because they couldn't move the ball in that game. And I, I, I think that's, like, one of the more, like, frustrating things as a fan, is uh, as a football fan, is not necessarily when your team is going back and forth and, you know, they lose, you know, you lose like an Arkansas in double overtime or triple overtime, you know, you know, each team putting up 40 points is when you only score seven. The defense plays well enough, you know, Florida finished with a 19, I think that day, but you just can't, you're like running into a, into a wall and you can't do anything about it. And I think that's super frustrating. Uh, so that those are the two, I think until 2011, obviously the two most frustrating things, but everything else has been great. Well, actually, here's the terrible thing about that is I was actually at both the 2003 Florida game and the 2007 Arkansas game, and I don't have season tickets. I only went to one game each of those years, and the one game I attended was the games you identified as the most disappointing, and in between them, Richard and I went to the 2005 Auburn game, which I still can't rationally talk about. Oh, Oh, man, that game. So I think in person, I was there for probably three of the worst games you've ever seen as a fan. So Seth, Um, my wife Amy was at the 2003 Florida game, and was at the 2002 Alabama game, which, if you remember, I believe we lost that game 30 to zero. And those are the only two games she's ever attended at Tiger Stadium. She is not allowed to come back. She no, she she can't go back. For me, it's just, I remember in 2003 when we won the title, it felt like my first thoughts were guys who had never had a chance to win a title. You know, I, I, like, I immediately thought of guys like Kevin Mawai, who, you know, had played great and just never was on a great team. Eddie Kinnison, Shedrick Wilson, kind of guys like that. 2019, I don't really have that emotion. I mean, there's some guys that in the intervening years, didn't get to play for a title. There's, you know, Jamal Adams, Leonard Fournette, you know, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham. There's some great players, but I don't quite have that same wistful feel that they never got appreciated kind of thing. 2003 those those teams were always great. Yeah, they were, they were great teams that just didn't get over the hump. And, And we were there with players who were good, like Gabe Northern and people like that who just played for awful teams. Just, yeah, just awful. So 2003 felt like, hey, we're here, you know, we're a program and we exist, and you forgot about everything we've ever done for 40 years. So, hey, we're back on the map. 2019 just feels singular about this one year, this one team. It's like this, the only way I think it ties into kind of the program in a greater sense is, it. this is LSU's fourth title in the whole era and now we're knocking on the door of the teams that have won the most amount of championships of all time once you get past like once you get into the pole era it feels like LSU is becoming closer and closer to being a true blue blood that we're no longer like a a tier below you know the Oklahoma's and Alabama's in the world I think this one 
I think this one did it. I think that was this is the I mean, maybe it doesn't. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to really kind of put yourself in that sort of stratosphere unless you like have been there for a while because that's kind of how it works. It's just were you there for, like for you know when like for, since the last 40, 50 years or whatever, but LSU's won more national titles in the last 50 years than Ohio State. They've won more in the last 40 years than USC. They have the same number of national titles since 1958 when they won the first one as Oklahoma. They have the same number of national titles since World War II as Auburn, Georgia, and Tennessee combined. They're now only the second program after Miami in the 80s to have three straight coaches win a national championship. So this one, and I mean, there are three in this century are second only to Alabama. I mean, this is the one that, to me, yeah, like puts them in that sort of, you know, tier of Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama. I mean, maybe it's hard to change like the historical perception and kind of like feeling of that. I think to a lot of people, maybe it still doesn't feel like that kind of program. But I think when you now when you go and look at it and you look at the national championships won and how many years they've been in, you know, that kind of conversation. Now it, it, it looks like that. And in 20, 30 years, when you look back and you like, who were the programs of the 2000s and the 2010s, LSU looks like one of those programs the same way Oklahoma was in the 70s and, uh, you know, USC was in the 70s, well, in Alabama and Miami in the 80s. They look like that kind of program for this modern era now one of the things if you look at the lsu's previous titles and i I wrote about this i think it just published if you look at the previous titles there was always a but with the lsu team there's always kind of like something that hung over them 1958 they didn't play any integrated teams 2003 you had the whole usc thing 2007 you had the two losses it was just a crazy year so, yes, they were national champions. You can't, you know, flags fly forever. But I don't think they ever felt like they were considered historically great teams by anyone who wasn't an LSU fan. And now, all of a sudden, this team, people aren't just recognizing, hey, that's a great team, but it's being considered one of the greatest teams of all time. And how does that feel for the rest of y'all? Do you, am I misreading the college football world or even your own feelings about it? No, I think I think this is a team. No, you're you're never going to settle that who is the best team of all time. You know, you Banner Society ran an article that said even when we talk about that, we don't talk about the same thing. And but I think this is a team that you have to enter that conversation with this team. You know, that I mean, they they dominated really really good competition. This is one of the toughest schedules in the country, maybe the toughest schedule in the country, and. Nobody really had a shot against them at the end of, at the end of games. I don't I don't know what what metric you could use to to compare them to other to other really great teams and 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 college football history. But you know that's this team is in that is in that discussion. Yeah, I think it's whatever metric you use. It's, they're going to come out looking pretty good. Whatever your preferred metric is, is it talent? This team's pretty loaded. Is it awards one? You know, you have a Bolitnikoff, a Heisman, a Thorpe winner. Is it, you know, who you beat? I mean, they beat five teams in the top eight. Um, yeah, this is – and also, I don't think people truly realize how rare an undefeated national champion is. Like, Alabama's been on an incredible run these past 10, 15 years, and they only have one in this generation, the 2009 team. LSU having an undefeated, untied national champion, uh, that is something for a program, particularly in the SEC, where you have so many great programs. This is literally a a once-in-a-generation thing. So suck the marrow out of this. Enjoy literally every second of it you can. Seth? Yeah, this was, I think, you know, 2011. I think we've probably talked about this before, but the thing with 2011 and 2003 when when the defense dominates uh, like those teams did and like most LSU teams have when they're really good it's not 
Oh, man. You know, we all love football. We can all watch football for days. It doesn't matter who's playing, uh, uh, well, you know, except Richard, who's just coming back into the sport. But, um, we, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. But at the same time, we do want that entertainment value. And this team, besides being just absolutely, you know, you know, like you guys are saying, one of the best teams of all time, it was so flippin' entertaining because they just, no one ever stopped them. I'm not saying that, that I didn't love watching 2011 and 2003 and, and every other year, but, man, this one was something uh, uh, that I don't think I could have ever expected. It's just, um, they were fun. They were beyond fun. This was a team that, like, kind of took themselves seriously, clearly, but then there was um, a, a joyfulness about them, about the way they went on and did their business, and... and I mean, like you guys, I'm going to remember this forever. This is this is the one. This is really the one. Yeah, that's. This feels like our 1958, and this team is better than that 1958 team, even in context. Yeah, I mean, they were they were they were inevitable. All of, I think all the great like teams and you know athletes. There is a there's an inevitability to them. Like, you know, it's going to happen. You know, they're going to score like the 95 Nebraska team. You knew Tommy Frazier was going to run it down your throat. You know, the one Miami team, you knew they were going to get a big turnover, you know, or blow you out at some point. Um, you know, you knew Michael Jordan's Chicago bulls were going to make the big shot. And, there was just this team. You knew they were going to score every time they had to score all year long. They scored like there was never a moment once where they flinched the entire season. Whether it was you know the Texas game when they had to score again and again and again in the fourth quarter to win, they did. Whether it was the Auburn game when they needed to score, you know the one time they were really down in the second half of the game, they did. In the Alabama game when. Tua drove them back from 20 points down, and it felt like the game was going to turn. They scored, and they scored again. And now this one, they were down 10 points, and you know it felt like, man, they really need to score here. This is going to get ugly. They scored, and then they scored again, and then they scored again, and they were up by 11 points. When 10 minutes earlier, they were down by 10. I mean, it was just they always they were inevitable. It was you knew that they were going to score, and there was nothing you could do about it no matter who it was and they played everyone who could do something about it and it didn't matter no one could do anything about it they were just they were on they were truly unstoppable now you talk about inevitability the the game itself against clemson i think clemson made a really a fine account of themselves i think they they showed they were a deserving championship team they they are clearly an elite level team what moments of the game were you or was there a moment in the game where you were nervous and thought, oh, my God, we could lose this? Well, I was I was real concerned when we couldn't move the ball very much in the first few possessions. And and even with the big the big touchdown to Jamar Chase that that looked a little fluky at the time. But after about five minutes to go in the second quarter, we were down by 10. And then within just a few minutes of that, we were suddenly up by four. It felt like we had taken their best shot. And, and then we were starting to fight back, and our best shot was just a lot stronger than their best shot. I think we have to give a lot of credit to how far the defense has come since, since the middle part of the year. And again, it's something that we talked about a lot. They're not, they weren't as bad as everyone made them out to be. But even with that said, they've been absolutely unstoppable the past, uh, you know, four or five games since Ole Miss. And there's, there's another universe out there where LSU can't do anything with the ball early, but Clemson is, is putting more points on the board. I think LSU finds a way to get back in the game, even if it is like 17-0, 21-0, because like Jake said, this offense was absolutely inevitable. But I think... What Aranda did, especially on third down, 
And even Jake said it. Jake wrote a tweet about it that was really good about how Clemson came out and ran that pot pass to the tight end for 50 yards. They ran the double reverse. They tried it, a, a reverse on the first play of the game. They tried a whole bunch of stuff like that because they knew they had to come out and take a huge lead. And when they couldn't do it, when it was only, you know, uh, seven points, we forced them to punt twice in, in, the, uh, in, our, in our end, it was over. Like, it was just over. Eventually, LSU was going to do it. And I, and I agree. I was nervous as hell when they couldn't move the ball. But at the same time, like, <laughs> looking back, it's like, yeah, of course they were going to move the ball. Well, you just watched that game and you thought, well, have they figured this offense out? You know, have they figured out what nobody could figure out? And, and for a while, they were confusing. Um, they were confusing our offense, I guess, by just throwing a variety of looks, disguising where, where pressure was coming from. And then it just stopped working, or it stopped working nearly as well. And, and that's when, when, it, when we were able to start putting the points on the board that we've been putting on all year. See, I wasn't as nervous in the first half, mainly because LSU just had really bad field position early on. I thought it was more of a function, not that the offense wasn't working, but really bad field position. You had that penalty that took away the huge gain on the first drive with the lineman downfield. Um, it just kind of felt like everything was breaking Clemson's way, and they were only up 7 nothing. and that's why I invoke Poser's Law that – the team that dominates the run of play, if they do not turn their advantage into points, the advantage dissipates. And so I felt pretty good that that advantage would dissipate and LSU would come back, which is eventually what happened. And all of a sudden LSU was up 28-17 at the, le- at the half. But that's actually the moment I got nervous because you saw Joe Burrow walking to the sideline after throwing that touchdown pass to Moss at the end of the first half, and he wouldn't let anyone touch him. And immediately I was like, that guy's hurt. And LSU was getting the ball first and it was a chance to put the, you know, kind of put the game away, go up 35-17, and LSU did nothing with it on their first two possessions. And Clemson scored on their first possession. All of a sudden it's a 28-25 game and Clemson has the ball and they have a chance to tie or go ahead and LSU's offense is doing nothing and I've had confidence in the LSU offense all year that they can do you know they can do anything and part of that reason is cuz we have Joe Burrow but at that moment I was wondering do we have Joe Burrow or is he standing there with broken ribs and just trying to gut it out and all of a sudden we don't have our magic man and we're not going to be able to win a shootout and that is the moment the LSU defense stepped up it was 28-25 and from that point on Clemson I think only gained 20 yards in their next three drives combined. Um, they didn't score another point for the rest of the game and they would turn the ball over. They would punt three times and then fumble it away. And that was it. As much as it was important for LSU to find its offense again in the second half, we only scored 14 points in the second half. That was a defensive performance, which won this game. Well, I think those, the, the first two um, drives that you're talking about where LSU couldn't move the ball in the second half, now I could be totally off because I, unfortunately, there's no game, uh, full game on YouTube yet. So yeah, I yeah, been able no, to watch it, it. I haven't rewatched anything. This is all gut yeah. from watching the game through the haze of you know exactly. A lot of- <laughs> so what I think happened was they couldn't stop Jamar Chase down the sideline, one on one, and they weren't like doubling him like a lot of teams had started to do at the end of the year where it really was a corner that was outside shade and the safety over top. This was, even if they played with two safeties and one safety was on, you know, uh, Jamar's side of the field, it wasn't a true double team. It was true. Like a man, it was, you know, the corner wasn't man and the safety was over the top. So what happened was I think on the first or the second big chase um, over the shoulder catch, uh, you can see they just, he just runs by the safety, who's not really concerned with him because, well, why? You know, it's man to man. I don't. I'm not really associated with that receiver on that side of the field. But once Jamar took the game over, and Venable said, "Okay, well, wait a minute. I can't just play man over there. Even if I have a safety there, he's just going to run by me." 
what am I going to do? So you have two options. Either you go to that to that double team like I'm talking like I'm talking about, like Texas A&M did, like like uh, Georgia did, and you and you kind of play high low on him, or you do what Venables does and you say. I'm not going to let you throw the ball there because I'm going to put nine guys in your face on every snap. So he gets LSU into a third down uh, right off at a halftime. He blitzes everyone, plays with no safety. They can't get the ball off. Clemson goes down the field and scores. LSU gets the ball back. Third down again. He sends everybody. LSU can't get the ball off. Uh, I think he might have taken a sack on both times or one of them. I don't remember. So the third yeah, he took time, a very timid sack on one of them, like yeah. very unburrow like. And this is when I was really nervous he was hurt. So and then, like you said, so then the defense gets a huge stop when they have a chance to, to go down when Clemson has a chance to go down the field and take the lead. And LSU gets the ball back. They get to a third down again, and it's third and eleven too, third and ten, third and eleven. And Venables had sent you know serious serious heat you know, the first two third downs in the third quarter. He does it again. Wasn't exactly a cover zero, everyone coming blitz, but he sends a lot of people. And LSU hit him with the screen pass. And that was it. That was the game right there. Because they, you know, so like you, you talked about, well, maybe Burrow wasn't himself after the hit. It didn't matter at the end because the coaching staff made such a great decision to say, okay, we think we know what he's going to do on this next third down. He's, he's gotten us twice. We will not take any chances. Here's a nice screen. Let them all come in. And I mean, if, if you, it's crazy when you watch it again. There's like six Clemson defenders right in Burrow's face, and then he just lost it over them. And Jamar does what Jamar does, and then that was that was the game. Yeah, they've been really. I mean, there was. It felt like they like you were just kind of begging them to call a screen for like the previous. Kind of all game because it was like the one thing they hadn't called, and you knew they could get it, and they got it, and yeah, that pretty much finished the game. I, I don't know if I was ever really nervous in this. The thing with the Clemson drive in the first, the second, the first drive for them in the second half was I think they started at midfield because they got that really ticky tack kick catch interference call, and you know they only had to drive like fifty yards to score, and I don't know, I just I never really felt. When they were on offense, they landed a couple big plays. Like they they hit some you know big ones, which is just kind of what they do, because you know they have great players. But they couldn't. It did never feel like they could really consistently put drives together. And I mean, you know, when we, we talked about last week, the game was ultimately going to come down to could they hit those fifty fifty balls with their receivers on the DBs, and they just never hit them all night. And like once. Once you kind of like saw Lawrence like throw seven, eight of those, and you realize he just wasn't going to hit them, I think that just kind of kind of settled me down because I'm like, it's they're not going to do it. They can't do it. You know, like I mean, they hit a few of them. Like they hit the big one to I think Ross early, like for the second play of the game. Um, but otherwise, they just didn't really get those. And it that's that's basically their offense. Like that's what they do. And when if you can't do what you do best, that's it. And so like, I, I, I it. You know, the guys who got them at third downs, and that's something the that Columbus kind of struggled with is you know kind of getting to they kind of put themselves in long down situation, but they're able to usually bail themselves out. They did in the national championship game against Alabama last year because they can make such high pressure plays, but they could make those all night. They were only made one third down the whole game, and so yeah, it just you know it felt like all of their scoring drives either short field or they landed. One kind of big play to spring it, and so it, it never really felt like they were really going to drive and come back. It felt like if LSU could get, you know, one score, you know, just keep scoring one or two more times, that'd be it, and that's what they did. You know, I thought they were always really close to to breaking big gains, especially with with, with ATN and and the way he was running and the way he was catching balls and, and getting run yards after the catch. It always seemed like he was one broken tackle away from from, you know, just taking taking one a long a long distance. And I, I really thought until we got up by by two scores that we could end up in a situation where we were just trading off touchdowns and it was gonna come down to 
some something fluky towards the end of the game to decide it. But eventually the defense just clamped down and they couldn't uh, Clemson Clemson sometimes just carved right through us. But for most of the game, they weren't able to do they weren't able to do that. And towards the end of the game, we just clamped right down on them and they weren't able to, to get anything going. And give uh, Aranda credit because it seems early in the game he was using Patrick Queen to spy Trevor Lawrence to stop you know the running quarterback threat. By the second half, Patrick Queen was assigned with uh, stopping Travis Etienne, and I know there's probably a Clemson podcast right now where they're bemoaning how few touches Etienne got in the third and fourth quarter, and a lot of that is because what Richard's talking about. It always seemed like he was w- going to break something, but Patrick Queen. Stopped him every time. I, I he he needed to be sure-handed, a, a sure tackler the entire game because he did not have any support, and he made those tackles. And if Patrick Queen is sort of the unsung MVP of this game, he, he, oh, he had he a had fabulous he, game. He had a fabulous game, and he is the guy who stopped their biggest offensive weapon in the first half in Travis Lawrence, and their biggest offensive weapon in the second half of Travis Etienne. He was a difference maker and that's what you need you need your best players to be uh difference makers in a big game that's how you win i mean you can scheme all you want but you need players to make plays i i haven't seen him play that way ever in my life he was fast man i didn't i didn't i don't didn't realize he was that fast because he hadn't like played that fast in his career but oh, he was all over the place man he was so good he honestly made him made himself a few million dollars just just uh, Monday night alone. <laughs> yeah, there was one play when he got into the backfield. I don't recall if it was him that initiated the sack or if he just got a piece of Lawrence and Divinity finished it up. But I was like, was that him again? Because that's what at, at the little watching party that I was at, we were all talking about. Like he see, like you just said, Seth, he seemed to be everywhere all the time. It's like, where has this play been all season long? You know who I saw more in this game that I think I saw all season was Christian Fulton because it seemed like everybody else was scared to throw at him and, and Clemson was not scared to throw at him. They were more scared to throw at Stingley. So they kept throw they kept throwing to Fulton and, and they had some success, but he he eventually came up pretty big and then they stopped being able to throw on him. Yeah, and also I feel bad. Fulton I think got robbed of that interception. That I mean, we're talking about the ticky-tack uh, call earlier that of the catch interference, but that pass interference before the interception, that was the tickiest attack he calls. That was really weak. And and honestly, it didn't. the only reason I really feel bad about it is the game was kind of out of hand at that point. I mean, it's a 17-point game. It's midway through the fourth quarter. This is mainly just so he can say, I got an interception in the national championship game. All it did was keep the game interesting for a couple more plays. But yeah, uh, he was great. He, you know, and look, you—it's pick your poison when you play LSU. I, I mean, Clemson's got two great receivers out there, but LSU's got two, you know, NFL-ready cornerbacks. And so, do you throw at Stingley or do you throw at Fulton? I mean, most teams have tried to work the slot and try and throw at Kerry Vincent, but Clemson didn't really have that slot threat that, say, an Alabama had. And I think that was one of the differences in the game. Another guy that I can't stop gushing over is the way Kevin Vincent has kind of turned his season around because it felt like, you know what, early in the year I I wrote this or somewhere, I don't remember, um, about how it felt like every quarterback became Joe Montana when they were throwing against LSU's slot corner, right? It was like, couldn't do anything against against Fulton and, and Stingley on the outside, but then he's throwing like a 12-yard out route from the opposite hash, and it's putting it in the receiver's hands, and Kerry Vincent has – he can't do anything. That's what it felt like early in the season. And then since then, man, Kerry Vincent has just been in total, total lockdown mode. And I know that, you know, we give a lot of – there's a lot of, uh, you know, pub to, to uh, Ross and Higgins on the outside. I think Amari Rogers is a hell of a player too. So for him to lock – for Vincent to lock him down is, is no small task either. All right, so trying to wrap this up, as we look over the 2019 season, which I think is going to go down as 
the greatest LSU team of all time, probably. Uh, at least until something we can't imagine happens next. I can't imagine a team that's going to be better than this, though it is possible. I'll never say never. But for you, what's your enduring image of the season? What's the the moment or the player or the whatever that to you symbolizes this team? It's got to be Joe, honestly. I can't really... He He embodied this team and this program in a way that I think few players like really do in college football, you know, cause most of the thing with college football is mostly you think of the, the team like you kind of think of the school as opposed to like maybe, you know, a, a single kind of player, but there's a few who like you, when you think of a team and you think of a national championship, you think of that player like Cam Newton at Auburn or Vince Young at Texas, Herschel Walker at Georgia, Bo Jackson, He's in that tier. When you think of LSU, when you think of 2019 LSU, you think of Joe Burrow. That's who you're always going to think about. And that's and whatever huge plays he made all season, be it some of the ones he made against Alabama or the incredible throw against Georgia or you know the, the third and ten run, this quarterback draw to set up the touchdown at the end of the first half which is a play you only run if you have Joe Burrow. I just think it's, he really defined this program and team in a way that you just don't see. And I think that's what's going to be missed most of all from this team that you know was so unique is like the numbers are obviously never going to be replicated. And I think that's you can get used to. I think you can get used to the fact that, yeah, you watch the best offense ever. You know, and that, yeah, there's just, it's going to go down because that's what's going to happen. It, it, there's just, there's no going up from this. Um, it has to go down. I think that's something that you can get used to. But I don't think it's going to be easy ever to get used to the void that he fills as just far as his personality and his charisma. I mean, just seeing him after the game with the cigar, and it's just a dude who has just unbelievable confidence in himself and such a swagger and charisma that's so unique. He, w- he was just a unique, special player. And I, I think that kind of hole is obviously really hard to replace, but I think that's what defines this team. I mean, I mean there, look, there are so many great players on this team. Jamar Chase had the best single season by LSU wide receiver ever. He's going to go down as the best LSU wide receiver ever. Clyde in that Alabama game was one of the most amazing single-game performances I can think of. Derek Stingley might wind up having one of the greatest cornerback careers ever. So, I mean, this was such a talented team, but it was his team. That It was his team, and so I think that's what's always going to be remembered. I think people are always going to look at this team and it's, it's, you you said it already, but it's a lot like the Cam Newton Auburn team or the Vince Young Texas team. They're always going to look at this as the Joe Burrow LSU team. Um, But I, I really think, I think of two things. I think of just that receiver core, that, that group of receivers of Chase Jefferson and and uh, and Marshall so good and 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 they really elevated Joe Burrow and, and and vice versa and I also think we saw Derek Stingley go from being you know the true freshman a, a, a day one starter true freshman who teams tried to pick on to a future number one overall draft pick wanting no part of throwing to him I think we're going to look back on those and say we we saw we saw a real growth of, of of a of a of a great player on on that side of the ball too. Yeah, it's hard to 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 kind of top what you guys both said. It's this was the uh, Joe Burrow show from day one. I think that early on in the year there was a lot of talk. I mean, there still is, but there was a lot of talk early on about, oh, well, LSU finally has um, an offense um, in terms of the scheme that's not archaic. And that's 100% true. I mean, they did stuff. They, they cheated a lot of times um, in terms of their scheme, and they did stuff that um, you're not really – not a lot of teams do, and they, they were able to get you know receivers open and, and running backs big, big lanes and stuff. But at the end of the day, none of it, none of it works without the trigger man. 
because as we started to go along, it was like now that the narrative changed and it was like, oh, well, all these full-field progression reads, all this stuff, all that stuff, and only Burrow can do that. You know, when you go on the other side of the field, you have a, a guy in, in Dabo Sweeney who has run this unbelievable program, but his offenses are super basic. And even when he had really good quarterbacks, Taj Boyd and, you know, obviously Deshaun Watson and now even more so probably Trevor Lawrence, now in his second year, they just don't do that much because college quarterbacks aren't supposed to be able to handle all that stuff. And I think Burrow, A, being able to handle going through reads, which is like the hardest thing to do probably in in sports, and then B, his kind of grasp of pass protections was, I mean, it's the best I've ever seen at, at this level. Now, you know, Brady and Ensminger from the sideline do, you know, call the pass pro, uh, you know, like they call all the plays. And they check to whatever pass pro needs to be based on, you know, what the defense look is giving them. And Burrow will do that himself in the NFL. But I think it was his understanding of where the issues were in each different pass protection because nothing's perfect, right? So I keep thinking about there's a Jamar Chase slant that he takes 75 yards for a touchdown uh, in Mississippi. There's a guy running right at Burrow, and it's his guy, and he knows it's his guy pre-snap. Like He understands that the center, the guard and the tackle are going one way, the other guard and tackle are going the other way. There's a big hole for that Mike Lineberg to run right through. And he's my guy, and I'm going to make a play. And no one else is doing that. <laughs> like He's so far advanced. And so, yeah, the scheme and everything worked, but, it, but it, it only goes to this level. You know, this absurd level. You know, 60 touchdowns. Uh, 5,700, 5,800 passing yards, uh, over 6,000 total yards by one person uh, if you have just an insane grasp of, of everything around you. He was incredible. We'll never see it again. I agree with a lot of what you said about Joe Burrow was kind of the player, but what I think is interesting is that LSU played Clemson, who Debo gets a meal out of the whole little old Clemson thing, and no one believes in us. But this was an LSU team with a ton of redemptive arcs on on the team. They came into the season. They said, hey, we're changing the offense. You know, we've been stuck in the mud for 10, 15 years, and no one believed them. It was sort of like we've been burned before. We even did it in our, you know, preseason show. We're like, I'll believe it when I see it. And they came out there and immediately, right away, the offense had been changed. You know, we and yeah, it took a talent like Joe Burrow, but also it showed a commitment you know, to show people because they knew that LSU fans had been burned before. And I think that speaks a lot to Ed Orgeron, who, whose career was going, I don't want to say going nowhere, but this is a guy who completely bombed out at Ole Miss. I, I think we've forgotten just how bad of a job he did at Ole Miss. If it wasn't for Morris's recent run at Arkansas, it would it could have been a contender for one of the worst coaching stints in SEC history, at least modern SEC history. It it was bad. And he did just about everything wrong you can do as a head coach. And he just worked his way back through the ranks. Um, you know, he went back to being not even a coordinator. He was a position coach. And, you know, he got a shot at USC, but you know, they didn't hire him as the in, you know, from the intern to be the full time because you know he didn't talk right. And he finds his way to LSU, and he's in the right place at the right time, and he gets hired at the job. And I know I was incredibly skeptical of it, but I was certainly not alone in that. And he not only started winning games, and he didn't start winning games right away because, I mean, things were bad after the – he lost to Troy. I mean, there were people – there was definite talk that he wasn't going to even make it out of his first season – But what I liked so much about what he has done here is that he has learned. He has taken all of his failures in the past and he's looked and said, hey, what worked and what didn't? You know, he worked for Pete Carroll, was an incredibly successful coach, and said, okay, what things can I steal from him? 
And, you know, he looked at, you know, what he did when he was in Miami and say, okay, what worked there? What can I steal from there? You know, what can I steal from this? And he has become almost a different person. I mean, he's this forward thinking guy who's always looking for not the next thing, but he's just like, okay, what works? Why does this work? What do we have to do? He, you know, he's this guy who says, I want to, you know, the day I can't get out of bed and kick your ass is the day I don't get out of bed anymore. Yet he's also the same guy who made practices lighter because he didn't want to wear out his team, which paid off dividends because this was an incredibly healthy team by the time of the championship game. I think he did a brilliant coaching job. He's one of the smartest coaches in the country, and he does not get credit for that. And I could not be more proud and more happy for that man for just how he has turned his career around. And he's taken every failure and made it into how do I become a better coach and a better person? And it's rubbed off on the team. Joe Burrow, he was a cast off at Ohio State. He couldn't win the job there. Comes here as a transfer. I mean, his other option was Cincinnati. I mean, th- this was no sure thing. And instead, he's like, I want to have the challenge of a Power Five job. You know, Damian Lewis had bombed out. He was a JUCO transfer. He was just supposed to be a, a stopgap measure. He's an All American lineman now. You have the defense, which just took so much crap this season, particularly for letting up a lot of rushing yards and a blowout win over Ole Miss. And down the stretch, they were awesome. They they heard the whispers and they answered the call. And I think that's all of those redemption arcs, all of how every person took criticism, heard the criticism, internalized it, and made themselves better goes to the head coach. And I, I think this has been a masterful job by Ed Orgeron. And he is the well-deserving head coach of the year, but he could be building something more than just one great team. And that leads to our next question. What do you see going forward? I don't care. It's over. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy. Like, uh, I know it's not going to be the same. It, it'll never be like this again. And it's okay. This season was was magic. You know, from from Texas to to uh, Alabama. I, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to end up writing about this week, but like, or in the coming weeks, but didn't it, I felt like, man, we won the national championship in Tuscaloosa that night because yeah, yeah, there, there's that that was such a weight off all of our shoulders when the final whistle blew there. And like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. They could they could lose eight straight. They could lose ten straight. I'm like, we we saw it happen. We saw it. Of course, I say that now. Uh, if they lose to Texas at home next year to start the season, I'm going to be yelling and screaming on the same podcast. But uh, for now, right now, I just don't care. Uh, I think this was just too good. It's too good to care about the future right now. That's, that's perfectly fair. And I don't know what's coming up in the future, but I do want to. I want to go back to something you said about um, about how. Ed Orgeron learned and and came back up through the ranks. The the skill and quality of being adaptable and flexible and being able to take an approach that's not working and change it is is an incredibly unusual skill. And, and, And not just in a football coach, just in the working world. Being adaptable is is very few people have have that skill and that quality to him and, and and you know kids listening to this you know keep that in mind as, as your career advice from the from the middle-aged guy in management that you know if you can if you can develop the, the quality to not get married to your bad ideas and, and be willing to discard them and try something else you're you're going to be really good at your work and and ed orgeron figured that out i'm not sure when but he he figured it out sometime after old mess I was having a similar conversation with a friend of mine earlier today. He texted me to say, uh, you know, hey, c- congrats to you guys, LSU, on winning. And he's not a, an A&M alumnus, but he went there. I guess, so I guess, you know, he's in that association of former students. And that led to kind of a discussion of the difference between 
Cocho and Jimbo. And, you know, I told him, I said, the best you guys can hope for a year in and year out is third in the SEC West. And it goes back to what you guys were just talking about, how Cocho has learned and has adapted and has changed because he set his ego aside. Because what was most important to his ego was getting this team all on the same page with the same end goal in mind, everyone working together, whatever it took for that to happen. And like you just said, a lot of coaches cannot do that. They just cannot. And Jimbo, to me, is one of those guys, he, he just can't do it. And and that's what I told my friend is, you know, you guys may get lucky and there's going to be a season where you guys end up second. And then maybe you're going to get a generational season and you'll have a shot at winning it all. But by and large, you're looking at middle of the pack every single year. And that's what you guys just shelled out all that money for. So he did not seem too happy after that conversation, but he understood. He, Imagine he got that. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your team is a mediocre. Uh, <laughs> why are you mad? Um, no, but I. Mediocre forever. Yeah. There's no hope if you get it. Um, Let's go out for drinks, buddy. <laughs> I, I do like the fact that Orgeron's genius is subtle. It, it's not that. It's not that, hey, I know more about football than you, or anything. Like, I have the best scheme. And I think you. That can be dangerous when you think you're too smart. Mm. You know, when you're Gus Mao's on and, you know, you, you have a thing, you tend to think you're the smartest guy in the room. And I think Ed, his entire life, has been treated nowhere near the smartest guy in the room. So not only is he adaptable, but he listens to people. He listens to new ideas. He's, he's aware of what's going on because I think people have underestimated him for so long because he's never been treated as the smartest guy in the room. And, oh, what a great idea, Ed. You're the, you know... You're so great. He, he is not used to having people blow smoke up, you know. And I think that's another thing that's really helped him out. And I, I think that's what will help the program going forward. I don't think he's done adapting. One of the things that I think has been bothering me, just reading whatever I've been reading, listening to whatever I've been listening to today, is the people talking about, well, you know, you know, now they're going back down to earth. And then, you know, obviously Trevor Lawrence is coming back. Clemson's going to be the favorite next year. That's fine. Alabama, you know, blah, 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 blah. This isn't some Cinderella story out of nowhere. This is a team that <laughs> recruits at, the, at, at an incredibly high level. It's a team that has now three national championships since the turn of the millennium. Like, they, they're going to be really good. Um, obviously, the, the schedule might kill them, uh, every, you know, every once in a while. But they're going to be incredibly good. Miles Brennan will be a drop-off from Joe Burrow or whoever plays quarterback next year. But what if the defense isn't ranked, you know, um, I think they probably end up somewhere around like 15th in S&P. What if the defense is in the top five next year, like it has been for so many years recently? So I don't know. Like, it's not – it'll never be like this. We all know it'll never be like this. But that doesn't mean – we're going to finish fourth in the SEC West anytime soon. This is a team that will still compete for national titles. It'll just look differently. Yeah, like, I, to me, it's like, like how Clemson was in that same, I, mean, I don't want to be like, well, if they can do it, why can't we? But, I mean, kind of like, yeah, like, Clemson had this with Deshaun Watson. And, you know, like, three years ago. And it was, oh, well, they don't, you know, they don't have Deshaun Watson anymore. And... You know, how is it going to respond? Well, they made the playoff three years in a row. And no, LSU is not in the ACC. And so, yes, you know, like they're going to make it less because they're in the SEC and you can't, unless you're Alabama and LSU is never truly going to be Alabama. You know, it's not, you're not going to like make the playoff every year, but it's like, man, you're like, yes, Clemson replaced Deshaun Watson with Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is great, but he's not Joe Burrow. You know, like he's not like, I think we saw that last night. Like, it's not like it's impossible to get a QB who's as good as Trevor Lawrence is because he's not like Joe Burrow all time freaking great. You know, it's like LSU's recruiting better right now than they ever have ever. All the talk for years has been, well, LSU recruits at a high level enough to win championships. Yeah, they're recruiting better than that. Like they're recruiting better than Nick Saban did. And they're recruiting better than Les Miles did. And 
you just look at the sheer talent on this team. Like that's the thing that I look at above like all else because all the talks about kind of like the scheme and things like that. Joe Brady leaving now, and it's obviously it's going to take a hit because you're never going to have Joe Burrow. But it's like, man, look at the Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, Thaddeus Moss, Clyde Edwards, Elair, LSU. It's not like LSU had these guys all the time before. You know, it's like like the one time they did really. Like the one time you could think of a comparable talent-wise for LSU's offense recently was the 2013 one with Zach Mettenberger and Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and Jeremy Hill. And those guys put up a bunch of points. So, you know, it's like, and Jamar Chase is back next year. And Terrace Marshall is back next year. And Thaddeus Moss, maybe, you know, we'll see. Justin Jefferson will go to the NFL. Clyde will go to the NFL. But they'll still have Ty Davis-Price and Chris Curry and John Emery, who are all four or five-star running backs. And, you know, they're on defense, they'll still have Derek Stingley and maybe Caleb on Chase on, who knows, maybe a Patrick Queen, you know, and they're recruiting, you know, elite guys. So it's, yeah, to me, it's, you know, it's like, why can't they continue to do this? I think that was kind of the thing that, like, bothered me a bit. Same with, like, Seth mentioned the buildup. It was like, man, if LSU, it's like they have to win this because it's like if you can't win it with this year, like when can you? I hate I hate that discussion always because so many times you look at sports and it's like the team that like it's assumed well if they can't win it then it never happens they actually end up winning it like the next year, couple years down the line and so yeah you know what Clemson was in this spot where they came up you know kind of out of nowhere and then ended up getting into that tier year in and year out and LSU does it in a similar way and we'll have to see how you know they continue to adapt with Coach O they have to. Hire a replacement Joe Brady, and at some point in the next couple of years, they will have to replace both of their coordinators because Steve Ensminger will retire and Dave Aranda will get a head coaching job. But they made, you know, they hired, they made an adjustment the past two years with replacing Matt Canada and going to Steve Ensminger and Joe Brady. And they have hired good assistants continually. So, yeah, like, I don't know if LSU is, LSU is not going to be clums necessarily because again you can't really do that in the sec and i don't know if lsu is going to get back to the national championship game next year but i just I don't, you don't look at the talent that this team put on the field and the level they performed at and the level they continue to recruit at and like like the days of lsu when like they would lose to arkansas or ole miss you know or something like that like that's not happening anymore they might lose to alabama and maybe if they like, maybe maybe they lose like a Florida, but or even like I was using to like good but not great Auburn teams. Like, no, I mean, that's not that's not happening. They're going to lose to teams who are at their level, and their level based on what they've done this year and how they continue to recruit is the absolute tip tip top of the sport, and it's and that's it. Um, so that doesn't mean they're going to. And the thing is, yes, because they play one of those teams every year, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win national championships, but every year, but. 10, 11 win seasons. Yeah, I think that's going to be happening consistently for this team. And I, because I don't see any reason why it can't. And that's not because it's easy, but it's because they've just reached that kind of level. Well, I wish I had that kind of confidence. That would make for some fun seasons. Well, we may never see the 2019 team ever again or a season quite this special, but. I think there will be special seasons in the future just because, look, just because there was never 1958 again doesn't mean that, you know, the 60s and the 70s didn't count. I mean, there were still special teams and special players, but this was a great team, not just a great LSU team. This was a great college football team. This whole season was just a joy, and I'm just encouraging every LSU fan just to take a couple of seconds and just appreciate this team and how much fun the whole season was, you know, before you start worrying about like, you know, Brady, which I don't even want to talk about going to the NFL or, you know, you're talking about coaching changes or who's going to, you know, what players going to go to the NFL or recruiting or whatever. It doesn't matter right now. Let's just enjoy this moment because moments like this do not happen that often. And with that, go Tigers. We are the national champions.
Say rock on top. 